Welcome to Kids Talk Church History, a one-of-a-kind podcast where kids investigate the history of the church. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Has he kept his promise? How has Jesus built and preserved his church against all odds? Come with us on a trip through history to find the answer here on Kids Talk Church History. Over 1,200 years ago, an archbishop named Anselm began to think about some questions that people had been asking. Why did God have to become man? If God can do anything, couldn't he have saved his people some other way? Why did he have to become a little baby, feel hungry, suffer all the pains of growing up as a human, and then, when he was a man, be hated, mistreated, and finally be killed? Some were even offended by this idea, thinking that it was impossible that the glorious God of the Bible would choose to die such a shameful death. So Anselm began to write some answers in a book that is still read by many people today. Stay tuned to hear these answers. My name is Lucy. I'm 17, and I live in San Diego, California. I'm Grace. I'm 11, and I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I'm Sophia. I'm 14 and live in Orlando, Florida. Anselm of Canterbury is one of the most celebrated of medieval thinkers. He's especially famous for the questions he asked and answered. For example, he once answered a question about God in a way that even people who don't believe in God find it hard to object to. He simply said that all human beings, including unbelievers, have an idea of God in their minds because they're all created in God's image. Even if God's image has been damaged by sin, we can still understand God as perfect goodness, truth, mercy, justice, and all good things. That's a great way to put it. And I also like Anselm's answer to the question of why God had to become man. He said, if only God could make this satisfaction for sin, and only a man ought to make it, it is necessary that a God-man make it. The Heidelberg Catechism that we use at our church says something pretty similar. Why must the mediator be a true and righteous human? God's justice demands that human nature, which has sinned, must pay for sin, but a sinful human could never pay for others. They probably learned from Anselm. So I've read that he lived during some pretty difficult and dangerous times. Yeah, he was born in Italy in 1033 and died in England in 1103, so pretty much throughout the entire 11th century. It was a time of wars, which included the advance of Islam throughout the Middle East, the Crusades, and the Norman invasion of England. But he especially felt the consequences of the struggle between popes and rulers. Becoming a monk was a dream that he, that he had since he was a child. Because in those days, being a monk was considered the best way to serve God. His father wanted him to have a good career and make money. But eventually, Anselm left home and traveled to the other side of the Alps, look for a teacher who would help him understand what's really important in this life. And a teacher in France, Lefranc, considered him, convinced him to become a monk. But life in a monastery was not always what Anselm expected, right? He loved to study, but he had to learn to work hard to help others, because that's what monks did. But he finally put his heart into serving others, including the sick. He also supervised the work of scribes who copied books because there was no printing press at that time. Yes, and one of the other struggles of the time, in 1098, William II literally forced Anselm to become Archbishop of Canterbury, which was the highest religious position in England. In this case, the word literally is really fitting because they had to pry Anselm's hand open so that he could hold the bishop's staff, which was a symbol of that position. Things were quite different back then. 
I can't imagine a president doing that to a bishop. It would be all over the news. Yeah, and I think one reason Anselm fought it was that he didn't think kings had the authority to appoint bishops. That was one of the main disagreements between the popes and kings at the time. Simonetta Carr's book on Anselm ends with an illustration that makes me smile. It shows Anselm and his friend Edmer in front of a fire, and Edmer looks like he's thinking, gulp? That's because Anselm asked him if he had burned a book Edmer had written about Anselm's life. Did, did you burn the book like I asked you? I told you I didn't want to publish my life story. Um, yes, it was sort of, sort of true because Edmer burned his manuscript, but only after he had made a copy. And later, Edmer also confessed that he had not been fully honest and asked for his readers' prayers. But Anselm was dead by then. Well, I'm glad we do have Anselm's life in writing. And hopefully, Anselm won't be too upset at Edmer. We'd better continue this discussion with our expert, Dr. Samu Niskanen, professor of medieval history at the University of Helsinki, Finland, who has been patiently waiting for us to stop chatting. Professor Niskanen, thank you for accepting our invitations to come and talk with us about Enso. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, we're pretty excited about this episode. We have a lot of questions. Um, but first of all, how do you become interested in Anselm in particular? Well, yeah, uh, one of my professors at university suggested that uh, I write my thesis about Anselm. And uh, at that time, to be honest, I didn't even know who Anselm was. And uh, the more I read about him, the more fascinating person uh, yeah, I found found him. So um, Anselm, he was somebody who uh, yeah, achieved, achieved much in it many fields of life. He was a writer of letters, uh, prayers, and theological treatises. And uh, yeah, at the same time, he was uh, he was an uh, exemplary monk, an abbot, and who became an archbishop. And uh, at the same time, he seems to have been a very uh, lovable person, yeah, or a, a nice guy, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, I would say that this is not always the case with those who are very talented academically or who are otherwise yeah, successful. So yes, yeah, uh, I, uh, I learned to know about Anselm about 25 years ago and I'm still working with him. It's, yeah, it was the beginning of a long journey that goes on still. Mm -hmm. And uh, you heard our, our summary of Anselm's life. Is there anything important we left out or that you might like to add about his life? Well, yeah, uh, uh, the main points were there, and uh, I would just probably add that uh, uh, as uh, as an intellectual, as a Christian intellectual, yeah, he became an extremely, extremely important, and uh, I suppose this is something that uh, we will discuss today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so getting into kind of Anselm's teaching, I can see how someone might ask, why did God have to become man? It seems that God could just say, you've sinned, but I forgive you. But Anselm realized that God couldn't really do that because he's merciful, but at the same time, he's also just. So how did Anselm kind of answer that question? Well, well, he, he thought that there was that because of sin, uh, there was an unbalance uh, to the universe. And this was something that had to be corrected. And uh, this unbalance was as follows. God, his justice, his honor, 
they are perfect. And so only a perfect gift would atone for the sin against this uh, godly perfection. Uh, but uh, this was not all, however. Uh, uh, an important point is missing. Uh, to offer Jesus was also an act of mercy. Uh, so by offering Jesus, God demonstrated his love for people and his, for his whole creation. So that's what Anselm taught about it. What did people in his day think was the reason why God had to become man? Or did they at all? They did. <laughs> they did. Uh, yeah, uh, there was uh, uh, yeah, an earlier conception that uh, yeah, uh, God was owing something to devil. And God had to pay, pay a price uh, yeah, to free to make man free out of his debt. And Anselm just, Anselm just didn't see how God could owe anything to the devil. And therefore, he, he thought that uh, we need a new answer. And he gives this answer in, uh, in Cordeus Homo, the uh, why God became man. Um, so Anselm wrote a very famous book answering these questions. How important was this book to the church, to the history of the church? Uh, well, it's yeah, yeah, it is actually difficult to say yeah, yeah, uh, in a concise way uh, how important it was. But uh, yeah, Anselm is a, uh, considered one of the 37 doctors of the church. So 37 important, very important teachers, the most important teachers. And he is he is one of the uh, yeah, of the thirty seven uh, teachers, and uh, that tells something, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Do you think Anselm's explanation of God as the highest possible good can help someone believe in God? I know it was not meant as proof of God's existence, but it can still be helpful, right? Well, in fact, I do know somebody uh, who became a Christian having read Anselm's so-called ontological argument. And uh, he is now a Lutheran clergyman. Uh, so I suppose uh, Anselm's argument can be very effective, effective also in, uh, in spiritual terms. Why did you originally write it? Um, well, it, it's very difficult, at least for me, to say precisely why Anselm wrote the, uh, this so-called ontological argument. Uh, yeah, however, I'm sure that the, uh, there were many reasons uh, for him to do so. And uh, I suppose that one perhaps was the fact that he was a very inquiring and rational mind. He was interested in uh, this kind of, kind of stuff. Um, so I saw that you edited a, edited a collection of Anselm's letters. Um, what were some of the things that you learned about Anselm's life that you probably wouldn't have if you didn't read his letters? Well, yeah, uh, I think the, the, the main point actually is the, is the same, that the, how rational uh, uh, he was as a person. He really loved the, uh, making a rational argument always. And uh, this was something uh, rather radical yeah, at that, that period, because uh, yeah, most writers, also letter writers, yeah, uh, when they wanted to uh, say something profound, they quoted authorities, that is the earlier writings. 
But Anselm was different. He preferred to argue from reason. So uh, whenever he uh, wanted to convince someone, he tried to offer a logical proof rather than a quotation of an earlier writing. And uh, this was actually, I think, the, the main thing I, I learned about, about the man when editing his letters. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, why did Anselm fight becoming an archbishop? We guess that it was partially because he thought the king didn't have the authority to appoint him. But were there any other reasons? Well, there were, again, uh, I think there were several factors here. Yeah, uh, I'm sure about that. Uh, well, he was a monk. And, uh, uh, and he understood that as arch, if he becomes archbishop of Canterbury, he could no more live in a monastic peace and silence. And uh, what is more, uh, it was held at the time that the, uh, an exemplary monk should do all he can in order to refuse a preferment or a promotion to a high uh, ecclesiastical office. And uh, Anselm took this conception uh, as his uh, Christian obligation. Um, I've also read that Anselm asked the king to allow him to go to Rome to be properly appointed, but the king kept saying no. In the end, the king called a meeting of bishops and noblemen to help him decide what to do. Was it common for a king to call a meeting just to decide if he should let a bishop go to Rome? It seems a little bit strange in today's context. Well, actually, uh, it was a little bit strange also in the, uh, in the late 11th century context. And uh, this was because there was a, a, a profound a change in papal policies taking place. Yeah. Um, before the, the latter half of the uh, of the 11th century, the Pope had not been a very powerful uh, force outside Italy. However, in the in the mid 11th century and in the later half of the 11th century, the papacy started to claim powers uh, of influence also in Europe, not of Italy, and uh, uh, kings and other rulers. Uh, King William II of England would be an instance. They were often against these new papal claims. And, uh, but uh, on the other hand, especially monks often supported uh, the, the Roman papacy, this new kind of Roman papacy. And uh, Anselm was one of that party. So there was kind of a, there was a, an old conception uh, held by the uh, King William II, and then the new conception of uh, uh, of papal uh, authority uh, 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 competing with with each other, and uh, this was the the cause of their disagreement. Do you have a favorite chapter in Anselm's life? Well, I consider. Anselm's theological writings, uh, his greatest contribution to posterity. And he started writing these theological treatises only in the 1070s, when he was more than 40 years old. And I would like to know more about the circumstances that made him start writing these texts, which were quite radical, actually, at the time. Before you go, we have a couple of questions we ask all of our guests. How did you become interested in church history? And if you can meet anyone from medieval history, who would it be? Well, 
I have been interested in the history of Christianity as long as I remember. And then yeah, when I was about 14, I think, I read The Lord of the Rings uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien. Perhaps you have seen the film or read the book. And I, I really, I really love the book. And uh, it made me uh, very interested in the, uh, in the Middle Ages. So what I do now professionally is to study medieval church history. And the person I would like to meet from the, the, the from Middle Ages, that would actually that would probably be Anselm. Uh, I would like to know. I would like to learn to know him uh, in person, so that I would see how far my current understanding of him as a person is right or wrong. Actually, three more questions since you are the only guest we've ever had from Finland. How do you say why the God-man in Finnish? When did Christianity first come to Finland? And what is your favorite Finnish food? Okay, now pay attention. I say something in Finnish. Miksi Jumala mies? Why the God-man? Miksi Jumala mies? When did Christianity come to Finland? Uh, we don't know precisely when that happened, uh, because the, 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 the earliest uh, uh, period is not, uh, uh, there's no uh, written record uh, uh, for, for that, the earliest missions. But uh, the earliest signs are from the, from the 9th and 10th centuries. And then we have uh, 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 more evidence for a solid mission from the 11th and especially from the 12th centuries onwards. And uh, yeah, there emerged the, from the 12th century, the Christianity came for, uh, to Finland from two directions, from the, uh, the west, Sweden that is, and from the east, uh, what is now Rasa. So uh, we had uh, two churches, different churches, actually, a, a Catholic church and then the Orthodox, a Russian Orthodox church. Uh, and uh, what is my uh, favorite Finnish food? Uh, that would be a rice pie called, a, uh, I say something again in Finnish, Karjalan pirakka, which in English would be a uh, Karelian pie. And Karelia is the uh, name of region in uh, eastern Finland extending to Russia. Karelian pie. It's delicious. All right. Well, Professor Niskanen, we're very thankful that you decided to spend this time with all of us and to share your knowledge and to uh, send us off. Could you teach us all how to say goodbye in Finnish? Uh, this is a lot easier. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. And thanks, thanks for the invitation. It was a pleasure and honor. Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. At this time... <laughs> Listeners have an opportunity to win a copy of Simonetta Carr's book, Anselm of Canterbury, where we learned most of the things that we shared in this episode. Just visit our website, kidstalkchurchhistory.org, to enter the drawing. While you're there, you'll also find past episodes, special news, recommended readings, and more. And if you would consider making a donation to support the work of the Alliance and podcasts like this one, we'd really appreciate it. You can also be entered in the drawing by submitting your questions or comments on the website or to questions at kidstalkchurchhistory.org. In partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals and on behalf of my co-hosts Grace and Sophia, my name is Lucy. Thank you for listening to Kids Talk Church History. 